Welcome to Casting Nets, a podcast about real life and living faith. The real life is we're really getting real because we're two pastors just talking about uh, God or talking about issues of the day. And it's about living faith because we're talking about Jesus as well. He's the only reason why we have living faith. I am Pastor Dave Rudot. I am here with Pastor Will Harley. Hello. Uh, update on Pastor Rudot and the thorn in his side. We're thinking maybe it's ulcers. So... It, even if Will Harley is not the reason why I have a thorn in my side, he I'm might probably be the, the cause reason. of the ulcers. <laughs> of an ulcer, too. It all depends. We'll have the scopes going down the throat and figuring out just how many they are, and I'll just identify who is responsible for which one uh, at a well, later time. Well, just so time. you know, I sign all of my work. <laughs> I'll look for the signature. <laughs> <laughs> So we are on Second uh, Timothy chapter three, uh, and a good title or the title that I came up for this chapter is "What is this world coming to?" And the answer is nothing that the Word of God can't handle. So we're going to uh, get uh, the Apostle Paul getting as close as he can to being a grumpy old man, but also uh, having him talk to us about the Word of God, ready and willing uh, to be ready for whatever this world is coming to. This is a podcast about two pastors uh, talking about God's Word or just talking about their views on things, on the world around them. And as we do so, sometimes it is not the, the, uh, the views of our church bodies or our church, churches or our church bodies. Sometimes not even the views of ourselves because we're just thinking out loud, throwing stuff at each other. Um, sometimes literally, sometimes not. Just throwing ideas at each other. And uh, and we might have our minds changed. And we welcome you into that conversation. So if there is something that bothers you or something you're not sure about or you'd want some clarification on, please reach out to us. Uh, you can talk to us in person. You can um, f- contact us on Facebook. You can email us at castingnetspod at gmail.com. So you got lots of options. We'd like you to join the conversation and uh, listen in and talk as well as we talk about 2 Timothy chapter 3. Before we begin, I just want to say that uh, we are getting really fancy here in the makeshift studio that we call my office. Um, and, you know, we've had a, a nice little switchboard and we do all the nice fancy uh, additives of music and things. And, and maybe we'll get uh, one of those uh, uh, crowd clapping things for when we make good points. Or, we need sound effects for when I do my do. dad jokes. We do. We should. The drum roll and uh, yay. Um, <clears throat> but we are getting fancy and, and we, we I finally caved and and figured that that uh, Pastor Rudat needed uh, a, a, a higher quality microphone. And so uh, we caved and gave him a, a higher quality microphone. I guess he's a permanent fixture now, so so he deserves his, his better mic. Well, thank you for this, Will. <laughs> it, it is a lot of fun to play with a new toy and uh, figure it out. And uh, hopefully I, my, I, 
their listeners will be able to tolerate more of my voice as we talk about Second Timothy chapter 3. Absolutely. So, as I said in the introduction, Paul gets as close as he can to being a grumpy old man. And by I mean a, by a grumpy old man is someone who just is looking at the world and just saying, what is the world coming to? It wasn't never, world wasn't like this in my day and back in my day this and back in my day that. And just bemoaning how bad the world is going to get. So he talks about, he says, uh, but know this in the last days, there will be terrible times. People will be lovers of themselves, lover of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemous, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, not able to reconcile with others, slanderous, without self-control, savage, haters of what is good, treacherous, reckless, puffed up with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to an outward form of godliness but denying its power. I, you know, I, I love that list and I, I, I underlined that entire section and I put on the side, I'm just like today (laughs) (laughs) and, 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 and the thing that I love about that list is, I mean, it starts off, it, it just starts off with, with really the core of the issue, lovers of themselves, um, you know that which is which is really the exact opposite of the first commandment. <laughs> the first commandment is that we should should love our Lord, the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. Um, you know that the idea of 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 having only our Lord as a, as the pinnacle. If you want to sum up as Jesus does the 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 totality of the commandments, the loving of self isn't in there. Um, and so the very very first thing that Paul comes out with is the very root of it all is this love for self, um, this self love. Uh, which you see is is prevalent in in everything in society today, right? Um, do you do you, um, or or you know, um, you have to make yourself happy, or how are they fulfilling you? You know, it's all this this inward focused idea. Which which, by the way, and we've said this many times on the on on our podcast, is the very core of the sinful nature. The sinful nature is turned inward upon itself. And if you read history, you look at the ancient Romans, and you would say all of these qualifications for the ancient Romans also fit for them. So it's not like uh, the Apostle Paul. Um, has never had any personal experience with anybody who is a lover of themselves because well, the sinful nature isn't isn't been and, around. And isn't this what we would say even in in well at least in Lutheran circles we would say that that pretty much we are in those last days. The the moment Christ ascends into heaven, guess what guys, we're in the last days. Um he can come back at any time and and so we say Lord come quickly. Um so I mean you're going to see just like Paul saw, you're going to see these these qualities ticking through history over and to different extremes, of course, um, but you're going to see these things ticking over. Yeah, exactly. Um, and usually when people talk to me about, uh, well, it wasn't like this when I was you know, eight years old or when I was 12 years old. I'm like, when you were eight years old or 12 years old, my, re- my response to that kind of statement is you, you weren't aware of everything that was going on in the world. You weren't aware of the boastful, arrogant things that were happening throughout the world or people being lovers of themselves or um, ungrateful or even disobedient to their parents. If you were always obedient to your parents or all those you knew were all obedient to your parents, that wasn't everybody in the world at that time. Well, and, and I think it goes even deeper than that. And, 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 and here's the thing. Um, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hearken back to the Old Testament to, to Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. And, and if, we, if we take that as, as um, a, a very broad statement, which it is, but apply that to the sinful nature 
the sinful nature present, I mean, there, there's only so many bags of tricks the sinful nature pulls from. And, and they're all the same and they just keep getting recycled. I mean, if you want to know the best recycler, it's the sinful nature. The sinful nature will recycle things that you thought were, were dead and gone. Um, but he pulls them out again and again and again in each of us. And, and so maybe you're right. You know, when we lived in a society, and maybe this is where, where the, the difference is. When, when you used to live in a society, when my parents were growing up, your parents were growing up, our great-grandparents were growing up, there was shame. And there was there was there was like a public shame, right, to to some of these things being seen in society, but that didn't mean that those things weren't still there underneath underneath the currents, right? Um, you know, you still had people who were ungrateful, but they put on the air of being grateful in public. You still had people who loved themselves, but they they phrased it in a different way so that they they let people think that they were more civic minded. Um, you had people that lost their self-control all the time. Um, and yet, you know, it was one of those things where we're shamed um, to, to, to do this in a public sphere. What we have in today's society, which I think is is a valid comment to to follow, is we live in a society where there's no shame publicly. Now there's shame privately, right? You still go home feeling like crud because you realize that wasn't uh, there, there's something wrong here, but but there's no more public shame, right? In the in the public square, and so you have all of these things that are now. Uh, open for everyone to see, and we have these reality TV shows that that show um, people's really poor life choices, and we have um, we have a, a government that'll stand up for for the the things that that focus on self, uh, with the exclusion of the, what is best for the community and best for for your neighbor. Um, and and they say, well, you're good, you're okay to do that, and so you have all these things that are broken through, where where the public square no longer has the shame. Um, of the bad stuff. I, I like that. That's an interesting take on verse five, holding an outward form of godliness, but denying its power. Even if you're in a society where there is shame, there might be people doing things for the wrong reason. They still have that sinful nature inside of them that, uh, that is uh, it, it leading them to say, well, at least, or the law is a curb. Let's even put it that way where you, they would say, I know this isn't the right way to act or, or say things or how to behave in, in polite society, but still, um, I am still doing those things just because I don't want the shame, not because of the power of Jesus that resides inside of me because of word and sacrament that's been administered to me. So I like, and then verse five also is a good twist on a society which is concerned about certain things. Like it still is a, a let's say a moral society. They're, they still have a conscience that's saying things are right and wrong. It's just the things that are right and wrong now are completely different than what the God's word says. So um, you might have a society that's obsessed with uh, making sure that, let's say in Roman times, they were making sure that the Roman gods were respected. Like this is an important thing for them. This is something that they're going to fight for. And and that's why uh, you Christians only worshiping one God. Oh, that's terrible. And so they're going to have a, a, a reaction to that. Maybe in our society, it might be um, our society saying you have to respect the individual. You have to respect if it's, if that individual ha- makes this decision, who are you to say that you can't do that? If a person has a lifestyle choice, who are you to say that that is sinful against God? So there's this form of godliness. There's a form of uh, right and wrong that there is a, a, there is a, there is such a thing as right and wrong established by some th- someone or something, um, but there's a complete denial of the true power that comes from 
Jesus in his word and well, sacrament. What, what, and, and maybe we're going down a rabbit hole here, but I, I, I think it's a good discussion because it, it fits with our people and their life in which they're living. And I, I did want to, I had this squared and underlined in that section because of the outward form of godliness, but denying its power. And, and, and I'm glad we we're sort of focusing in on that because I, I think it goes a little bit deeper than what, I agree with you wholeheartedly that there is a difference between what is perceived and what is really given by by Christ and how it changes us and the true reform that it makes. But I would go so far as to say that 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 this outward godliness that they're placing in here, you know, you brought up Rome, and you brought and and if you look at if you look at the Roman deities, each one of those deities are just overly exemplified human qualities, right? They, I mean, each of the deities exemplify one human aspect, and then they 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 deify them by making them extreme. And and I think this is where this is where maybe Paul is 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 catching on that that you have this outward godliness that that something inside of us says we were made to be different, which is true. Um, you go back into Genesis and you see that when God created man and woman. He created us intentionally to be above the rest of creation. And I think we see that. Um, even the society in which we live sees that we are different than the beasts. We are different. No matter if you want to believe in evolution, or if you want to believe in, 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 in whatever you want to believe in, or, or karma, or, or if you want to believe in, in, in sort of reincarnation, they understand, every culture understands that mankind is separate from the beast that they're 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 that we are we're above and i think this is where this perceived godliness comes in that if we are above these things we are better than these things we have we become the arbiter of what should be right and wrong we become the arbiter of of how life should be lived and what we fail to realize is that like you had said so beautifully true godliness doesn't come from us it comes from the one who is god <laughs> right um a true godliness is is and, and it comes back to the constant remember when we we were talking about about being part of the body of christ and we have the the communication of attributes um within uh from the the deity of christ uh, the nature of his divine nature uh, communicating to his human nature the qualities of 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 what god has and what god brings and how how I, I postulated, and we kind of sort of talked about it a little bit, how that trickles down to those who are found in the body of Christ, those who are believers, right? So my strength is God's strength because he has given it to me, and, and, and I am holy because God is holy and he has given it to me, and I am, I am um, loving because God is loving and he has given it to me. And, and these qualities that we have in this ether aren't, aren't necessarily floating up there, but they're embodied in God. And I think Paul is playing on this concept of saying, you think that people are godly and here's what they're doing. And he already gave you the list, right? Of everything that they're doing. And, and you put that up against who truly is God and the power of what he does to make you godly. Um, and you, you, you can play on that. And there's a, there's a beauty in society where we miss that, where, where, where you have people who say, I'm loving, I'm so loving, I'm going to let you kill uh, your infant before it's born because that's how loving I am. And, and you have to love yourself, you know, love yourself. And, and I'm so loving that, you, that I'm going to allow you to do what's best for you, even though it's going to hurt you, because aren't I loving? 
And and almost you can hear Paul smacking his head, being the grumpy old man, saying no. <laughs> as close as he can get to the grumpy old man. As close as he can get to the grumpy old man, saying no. This is not what what this is about. This is this is this is not godliness. The true power of godliness is found and rooted in Christ, who frees us to live for un, for one another. Yeah the 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 second half of verse five I want to get to, but before we get to that, I want to talk about. Uh, uh, piggyback on what you you talked about with the form of godliness, where we see that uh, we th- the the society in which we live acknowledges that somehow they're better than the rest of we're not better, but they're different from the rest of creation. They're above the rest of creation. But Paul eventually says those uh, the viewpoints of the world are eventually going to be viewed as fools. He mentions jannies and jamborees, which we don't have a reference in the Old Testament specifically for their name, but uh, tradition tells us these are the magicians that opposed Moses when he appeared before Pharaoh. And I, I think, I I don't know if you did any work on those two names, but I think tradition is it's plausible that these are the, the Egyptian magicians just because of the other contemporaries of the Apostle Paul names these guys as the um, the, the two magicians in the, uh, the Old Testament. But the point of the matter is, is that there will be regarded as foolish, that in the end, all of these people who seem to think that they are, they have a more enlightened view, let's put it that way, more enlightened view than Christianity or more enlightened view than Timothy or more enlightened view than, than uh, the Apostle Paul, in the end, they will be viewed as foolish. Well, and, I, and it comes back down to why are they foolish? And they're foolish not because they're not smart, um, not because they have not thought about things or pursued knowledge it it comes in and, and and i and i think he says that in seven right always learning but never able to come to the knowledge yeah, of the of truth verses. <laughs> um but but that's but that you know I, the, the the problem that we have in the world today and, and and we see this in 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 all of our institutions of higher learning is they they make this false assumption Right, the false assumption that the more you grow in knowledge, the further from from the Lord you you go, because you see He can't exist. When that's not that's that's a that is a false binary, right? It's it, you grow in knowledge doesn't mean that you become smarter than God. It means that you now, as you grow in knowledge, you realize how smart God is that He made it all work that you're capable of doing such things. But what they're what He's saying is, is there are people in the world who are smart. And, and and by very worldly standards, they're 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 very very brilliant people, um, but that doesn't mean that they're they're ready for a heaven, and that doesn't mean that by the standards of God, who is infinitely wise, they know anything. Um, and we fail to realize, and and maybe this is the arrogance of of the hubris of mankind. We think we are the smartest, right? Um, no one can be as smart as me. And, and and we 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 truly think that. And no matter no matter what level you're at, um, the people you interact with and the circles that you interact with, the natural hubris of all mankind and the natural hubris of of sinful mankind is to say, I'm the smartest person in the room. And 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 I think you boastful. see this. Yeah. And very boastful. Very boastful. Um and, and the Lord is saying, You can you can have all the knowledge, right? But but you don't have the truth. Um, and, and I've said this before to my own members, but I can point to books on my shelf. Um, just uh, one of the, the translations that I have from Nicot uh, for the book of Isaiah. Um, and and, and it's, uh, it's, it's a commentary. Uh, the, the author of that commentary is not a Christian. Handles the Hebrew wonderfully. 
I mean, beautiful job on handling the Hebrew, but but looks at the at the Word of God and says, "This is nothing, right? This is this is empty." I agree with everything you've said. I also would want to build on verse seven where we talk about uh, false teachers. That's only because it's your favorite verse. No, it's not my favorite. I like it. Oh, okay. I like it. I bet you we're going to have the same favorite verse. Well, we'll see if we're right because we we didn't compare notes when we come. I kind of. Uh, even though it makes me feel very uncomfortable to come in here and not know what Will's going to say, um, <laughs> it is kind of fun to see what, what what's going to come out of his mouth. But uh, verse seven, I always liked uh, when it comes to false teachers. It was always a um, it's a precautionary tale uh, for Lutherans. Sometimes when you hear about a false teacher, where they come really close to Lutheranism, or they come really close to understanding uh, faith or grace or the means of grace, and we say, "Hey, great that they're going to get there," and we're excited for it. But then you realize you have to temper that that sometimes uh, they come close, but they still are not going to acknowledge the truth of, of God's word when it comes to what is, how are we truly saved? Uh, how does a God communicate His salvation to us through the means of grace? They will back away. They'll get so far, but they won't acknowledge the truth. They they want to learn, and so they'll reinvent themselves and they'll reinvent their doctrine and say everything we taught in the past is bad. And I'm going to come up with a, a new way of, of looking at things. And the new way is just the old way repackaged. Or the new way is an, another heresy that's just repackaged. Um, well, and, The and, sad state of affairs of people yeah. uh, re- rejecting the truth that is in God's word. And, and every heresy is that, right? Every heresy is a rejection of, of the very truth of God's word presented for us and, and intended for us. I, I think... I, I think it comes back down to, and we have this in the church in which we live and, and thrive in today, um, people get bored with the Word of God because, you know, and, and, and the church, so, yeah, okay, so the church in its history had a one-year lectionary, right, where it was the same readings every single Sunday, um, throughout, I mean, not every single Sunday, the same readings, but when you go through a year and you'd have different readings throughout the year. And then when the year recycled, you would have those same readings again, right? Going and then, and then people got bored with that. Cause they're like, well, we always hear the same reading. So, so they created the three-year lectionary where, where we go through the, the synoptic gospels, um, and, in and, and a three-year cycle and we splatter John through that. So who created the th- three-year lectionary first? Well, I think we should have that conversation. Have the conversation of who created the three-year lectionary. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm uh, prepared to say it wasn't that. It wasn't that in the fifties. It was in the fifties, but it was a response to the Roman Catholic yes. Church coming up with a three-year lectionary. So the right. Lutheran said, "Let's follow the Antichrist and come up with a three-year lectionary as well." Well, see, I knew it was in the fifties. <laughs> see, um, but I know that I and I and I do know that. Um, but but the intention of the three-year lectionary, and I and I do know this, that it was because people were getting bored with the one-year lectionary because they said we keep having these things repeated, 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 and so they said let's give them a little bit more of a breath of 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 the God, of the the scriptures which i'm all, i'm all for i love it i'm for, i'm all for the scriptures too I, I, I'm, the bible is a good thing bible is a good thing i'm a fan of that um <laughs> we we should really print those <laughs> but, in a book <laughs> in a book <laughs> but but one of the things that i think happens is that that translates and trickles itself down into the church um and 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 we we think that uh, and maybe you've had this conversation with members, and it's usually from the older members, right? It's not from the younger members um, all the time. But some of the older members say, "Well, maybe we're not getting the younger members because things are are um, 
too old, right? It's old fashioned. Um, and so maybe the younger members aren't coming because we don't have the screens and we don't have the the jazzy music and the bands and the and and the things of that nature. And I'm wondering if we are overlooking um, the trappings, um, and and the trappings become an overshadow of the substance, um, and and real and recognizing that that where God's word is, that's all that is needed, right? Where the sacraments reign is all that's needed, um, and you can package that up in multitudes of different ways and it's fine as long as as long as the scriptures the gospel predominates in word and sacrament yes yeah i think that's a a very um middle way of looking at what some people call the worship wars where it has to be one way or the other and i really appreciate it because it reminds us what exactly is important is it what's important is it the the readings that we have or the way that we have the readings, or, or uh, whether we have a uh, pastor is vested in, in white or black or wearing a suit, what's really important? That Christ is being proclaimed and that uh, his word, is, his sacraments are being administered. That's, that's the important thing. How we trap it around it um, can sometimes be the distraction where we think that this is more important than uh, what's actually being received. Now, uh, I wanted to get back to verse 5. because going backwards? I'm going backwards. All right. I, I promised everyone I would go back to verse 5, um, but or I promised the dear listener. I didn't promise to everyone. But I promised the dear listener that we would go back to verse 5 because I, it's not my favorite verse, but I like, I appreciate it because as we're looking at uh, Paul's description of the world, and as I, I look at myself as a pastor going, I need to know what's going on in the world. Where, where are where is the uh, zeitgeist of the of everyone? Where, what is everyone? They don't know what zeitgeist means. Zeitgeist is the the view of the world, the culture of the time. What are people focused on? And you spend so much time into that, or you want to see what uh, what people are interested in, or what uh, um, they're thinking about. And so you spend time looking at news sites, you know, Fox News or CNN, and it's a reminder to me that verse five, where it says, turn away from such people. It's a reminder to, to me that as you're opening up the furnace, which is the world, and, and you just see it, it's all burning, it's all going down in flames, uh, make sure your hair isn't starting on fire and give yourself some, um, some respite. Turn away from all this stuff and turn to Christ. Uh, don't get sucked in. It's all attractive to look at the world and how it's all, all uh, burning up and it's all uh, going to pieces and... Um, how terrible it is to live in your times. But turn away, turn back to something that's worthwhile, the Word of God. The Word of God stands ready for this world. doesn't matter how bad the world gets or how how bad the world is burning. The Word of God is ready. You know, and, just, and, and I want to just make a comment about it because, you know, it strikes me as a, and I've had this conversation with some of the parents um, in our school, um, and 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 they they've said to me you know oh, well maybe we're not going to send our kids to a christian high school because they need to experience the world they need they can't be in this bubble forever and they need otherwise they're going to fall away and this and that and everything and i'm i'm thinking to myself you know just as a comment to what you're saying that that's 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 not true i mean really the the goal is Feed them, gather them around God's word as much as possible, as best as possible, because when when the world finally comes knocking at their door, which it will, you don't need to throw them out into the woods. Um, when it comes knocking at their door, 
they're going to be knocking at the door of a fortress instead of knocking at the door of a hut. Um, and, and I think this is one of those things where, where, where we need to, to, to step back and say, you know what, especially for our children, um, just because you bring, and I'm not saying you shouldn't bring your children to a, a, a Christian day school. I think that's wonderful, but it doesn't end there. I mean, if you're bringing them to a Christian day school, but you're never coming to church on Sunday and receiving the sacraments, you're teaching the kids that what I'm really learning in school means absolutely nothing for the rest of my life. And if you're at home and you're not talking about, this this is what the Lord has given to us, and this is the freedom we get to live in the Lord, and you're not making these, these connections with the rest of, and saying, this is what society says, and this is wrong. And flat out say, this is wrong. Don't say, well, that's a choice that they... No, it's wrong. It doesn't matter if they think they have the choice to make. It's still wrong. You can make bad choices, right? And in fact, we make bad choices all the time, and it's wrong. And and Christians aren't the only ones that are pointing at something and says, this is wrong. I think the better we realize that everybody is pointing at something, everyone has this form of godliness, you know, where they would say, I'm, I'm above this, um, or I'm better than this. But I am. <laughs> and uh, just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, Will, when I talk to you, I, I want to talk to the new person inside of you, not the That is the new person. <laughs> the, the sinful part of me wanted to say more. <laughs> the new person inside of me is boastful. <laughs> In Christ. In Christ. Yeah, that's not what I was hearing. Maybe that's not what your listeners were hearing anyway. So castingnetspod at gmail.com. Weigh in on it and uh, contact us on Facebook. And Anyway. Do you um, think Pastor you, Harley's you, right? <laughs> <laughs> I lost my train of thought. So um, anyway. No, but, it's one of those things. And, 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 and I think that coming back to avoiding such a – because you were talking about avoiding those things. And I think there's that fine line between understanding what is out there and understanding what our response is and, I, and engaging it. Yeah, well, Paul says turn away from such people. I, I like that idea. Like, It's not a, like you're avoiding it, like you can't try to separate yourself, but don't direct your attention that direction. Right. Direct your attention somewhere else. Turn, your, turn to Christ, turn to his word. Don't look at this and say the world is, don't open up the furnace and just sit there and have your hair on fire. Turn to God and his word, which is going to help you uh, and give you the strength and the power that you need to live through uh, the world that we're living in. So I am I am now going to hang my hat on, and, and moving forward just a little bit, I'm going to hang my hat on, on Paul and say, you know, you're making fun of me because I tell you I'm better. And um, you're like, well, that's the sinful nature speaking. But yet Paul says it right here, in starting in verse 10, does he not? He says, but you have faithfully followed my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfast endurance, my persecutions, my suffering. There's a lot of my in there. Right. Um, there there's a, I thinking he thinks he's better. You're, you're, <laughs> you're just leading me on because <laughs> verse, verse 11 is my favorite part, which I'm going to guess it's your, also your favorite verse, but I could be wrong. But the very end of verse 11, the Lord rescued me from all of them. So you would think, a first a person would say that, oh, the, the Lord rescued me from all the persecutions, but all of them, the teaching, the way of life, the purpose, the faith, the patience, the love, the steadfast endurance, the persecution, the sufferings, and all of that, all the rest, the Lord rescued me. So it sounds like Paul is looking at himself, 
but he is reminding Timothy it really is all about Jesus, not about me. Yeah, yeah. That that everything that that even Paul thought was his own, um, Jesus rescued him from from that thought, and and he was brought into the idea that this is Christ's body, and this is Christ's ministry, and this is <clears throat> this is not just his. Um, although although um, God gave it to him to participate in for a time. Um, and, and there is a beauty there. And actually, I'll have to say, although I do really love that section, because we had when we translated this section uh, some time ago, uh, we had a long conversation of, about how the Lord rescued him from himself. Um, and, but, but really, I would have to say my favorite part of the verse uh, or the section is, is actually further down. Oh, so, okay. But that's All okay. Right. But, that's you fine. know, you can have your own favorite I and can be have wrong. my own favorite. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right, right, right. It's all about will when it comes down to it. That's the sinful nature talking. I'm, I'm pretty much sure that it's always been. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Verse 2. Let's go back to verse 2. Because <laughs> I have a feeling this boastful part where he thinks like he's boasting in Christ isn't the boasting he thinks he's boasting about. Boastful and arrogant. <laughs> Those words have often been used. <laughs> oh, we're having a good time. Um. Yeah. The um. You want to keep moving on? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, he talks about being being rescued from it, right? And 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 then he brings it back. And this is where we talked about um being juxtaposed with that godliness. And remember, in when we and going backwards, we we made the comment in verse five that they want this godliness, but they deny its power. Well, he brings it up again, right? In verse twelve, where he says, "Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ." In Christ will be persecuted. So in other words, he says, okay, you have these people who want to be godly back in verse in verse five. They want to be godly, but they they don't understand the power that's behind being godly. Because the power that's behind being godly is to become Christ like, which means suffering as Christ suffered. Um and and being rescued from it as 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 Christ rescues and has rescued Paul. Um, so, I mean, you, you have this juxtaposition between the perceived godliness and now what is truly godly, which is looking a heck of a lot like suffering. Yeah, the, yeah. and just to build on that, the, per, the perception of, well, if I'm going to be in Christ, that means my life is going to be better, or that people are going to look at it and say, wow, this is uh, so much better, where Paul is just saying, what you perceive isn't what you see, What what's real, I should say. If you perceive people who think that they are righteous and they think that they are um, doing the right thing in the eyes of the world, uh, look, the reality is that they're denying the true power of God and, and the truth of God's word. The same thing is true for the Christian who is has the true power that is found in Christ Jesus who died, rose again, and ascended and has and sits at the right hand of God with all power and authority. You have all of that in Christ Jesus um, and through faith in him. But it doesn't mean that your life is going to be a success. It might mean that people are going to reject you just as they rejected Jesus. And it might seem like the world isn't going to get any better because of Jesus. Um, I think that's another false perception of American Christianity is to think of, well, if we have more Christians being Christians in this world, then America will be better. And that's not what Paul is promising in Second Timothy. He's, he's promising that things will get from bad to worse, that you're going to have people who are deceived and being deceived, you're people that are going to know better, but yet are uh, deceiving others. And you're going to have people who just who don't know better, who don't know the Bible, who who aren't rejecting it. They they are just, in fact, being led by 
uh, the the spirit of the world. Well, and and he says that it goes from bad to worse, right? It goes from bad to worse. But I think it it comes back down to and and you brought it up, so I'm going to just piggyback off of it. You know, this perception in modern Christianity today that says that modern Christianity is a uh, must have this reflection in 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 the world and change the 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 demographic of the world. <clears throat> and and I just I don't see that anywhere in scripture where where Christianity changes the demographic of the external world. Um, it changes the very demographic of, of how the world interacts with you um, because it is siphoned through the body and blood of Christ as it encounters you. And so a person who is in, in Christ um, receives the benefits of what the world offers because it's siphoned through the Lord. Um, and he only allows what is best for you and what is going to be the, the for your good, um, ultimately, eternally, to interact with you. And then he frees you to live and engage in this world siphoned and cleaned through him and his blood. On the flip side of that, all the filth that's still out there is swirling out there and affecting everyone else who is not in Christ, Right. Um, and, and I think we fail to see that and recognize that, that, that Christian Christians are not supposed to be the filter by which everything comes. And then we filter it out for the rest of y'all. Um, no, we are rescued from this because Christ is the filter for us. And, and now we get to interact and we can do the best that we can, but realizing I can't, I can't change the world. I can't change what the world is doing. I can't change the perception of evil. Um, and what evil does, because it's going to get from it's going to go from bad to even worse. But I'm okay, you know. And I hate to have to say it that way; it sounds very arrogant, but it's the truth. Um, it's going to get really bad out there, but I'm okay. Because what we're the end result is not that the world becomes a better place, but that Jesus comes again and destroys this world and creates a new world that is better it. by far. That's good. That's better by far. So. For the dear Christian who is getting discouraged by uh, looking at the furnace of the world and seeing that it's all burning and and wishing that it would get better, uh, it is going to get better when Jesus comes again. So would you say that for the Christian who's looking at this furnace and it is burning, would you say that the best thing that they can do is get some marshmallows? (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Get some marshmallows, folks. S'mores, (laughs) S'mores, <laughs> yay! Hot dogs. <laughs> Hot dogs. There you go. So yeah, and this helps the Christian and the Christian family. Some a uh, 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 husband and wife who's wondering about should we start a family in the world that we're living in? Yeah, I would start a family in the world that we're living in. The world needs Christians in it. The world needs uh, uh, witnesses of what Jesus has done and proclaimers of the truth. Yeah. Um, but let's not be discouraged that oh this world is getting so bad. I don't think I should bring any children into this world. I sh- uh, that's no. We're, we're going to bring children into this world. The Lord through His Word, His powerful Word, is going to sustain that child and bring him uh, to life everlasting. Well, and you know, and this comes back down to, and and, and this comes back down to uh, the very insight of even how we translate Scripture, and and I think we have this, um, you know, in the NIV. Um, in a lot of translations of, of the Bible, in Matthew 28, you have, go and make disciples uh, of all nations. You have this final epitaph of Christ standing and saying, go and make. And we, and we leave that setting with those translations with this idea that I am in power to do something. And there was that false premise that I think many, many Christians who were well-intentioned left with this idea, I must now do 
And, and I'm very, very appreciative of the EHV, which went in Matthew 28 and, and, and translated, go and gather disciples by baptizing and teaching and teaching, which means that, that we are, we are not making anything. We are not doing anything. We are, we are the hands by which God uses his external word and, and interacts through external means, uh, to gather his own. Um, through the very word and the sacrament, right? Um, and, and you had made that 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 so beautiful uh, connotation over the last couple of weeks. Um, it's the external word that changes. It's not me. It's not what I do. It's not my behavior. It's the external word. Um, and that's how the Apostle Paul ends Second Timothy three, which is since we've got to the end of Second Timothy three, this one. Well, of you're these bypassing has to be your, my you're your bypassing favorite. my my favorite. My which, favorite is verse fifteen. Oh. My well, favorite is verse 15. And, well, that's and, talking about the word. I know. That, 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 I the know. point that I was trying to make. Well, it is. And it, you had a beautiful point. But but I'm saying, as we're coming to the end, my favorite is verse 15. And, 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 and just that idea, uh, and that from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Um, and the reason I have that as my favorite is, is very, very simple. Um, it's the highlighting of the joy we have as parents to share our faith to our infants, and we share it by presenting the word to them. You know, the parent who says, I want my kid to make a choice and grow up to, to make their own choice for Christianity, I laugh at that and say that is ridiculous and stupid, because if it is something that is truly life-giving to you, why would you not share that with your children? If it is something that has been given to you and you have these great and wonderful gifts in it, it is true. And this is maybe the, this is maybe what we have failed to realize. If it is true, then you must share it because it is true. And if anything contrary to that is, 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 is well, if you believe it's true, everything contrary to it must be false. And why would you want to give your children the possibility of something false? And, and this is the beauty of that, is that it, it's rooted in Christ Jesus. This is the truth. The truth is that from infancy it's yours uh, because he has given it to you. What I really like about uh, it, it happens so oftentimes in families as pastors or as fathers or as mothers, you share with your children things that you know is right. You feel compelled. Like, I want to tell you the truth about whatever it is, a guy teaching his sons, I want to tell you the truth about how it is to maintain your car, fix a car, or go hunting, or go fishing. I want to tell you these things, because this is the, I figured this out, and I want to share it with you. It, it doesn't seem to be so hard for us to do that. And when you said, you know, you must uh, share it with the word, the share it with your children, What the power to do that the, the, uh, is the fact that it is the truth. So as a Christian father or a Christian mother, as you were sharing God's word with your children, this should be something that comes from the the external power of the word, which you know, this is the truth. I want to share this with you. Uh, don't be afraid to say, you know, I'm going to get this wrong. Just share God's word with with your children uh, and talk about it and talk about your how, how it has impacted you. Just as you talk as freely to them about how fishing has impacted you or hunting has impacted you or how fixing your car has impacted you or how dealing with coworkers has impacted you. You want to share that information with your children, share how God's word has impacted you as well. That if, if um, I, 
this whole conversation of, of talking about God's word, it really has convicted me, but also comforted me. Uh, the last couple of week, uh, mornings, we've had a lot of things going on in our family. And so our family mornings where we have usually have our family devotion time, because that's the only time that we are all together. We, we share God's word and then we pray about the day. And we've had some bigger things happening. I have a call to Michigan, so we're talking about that. We have uh, a, a car that needs to get fixed. We have a son that might be injured. It's all, all of these things of the family. And uh, and my daughter this morning said, Dad, get to that devotion because we have to leave in seven minutes. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you know, it's all of these things that are important to you. And, and life sometimes comes and interrupts. But if you have that pattern of sharing God's word with your children, uh, this is something that they crave. This is something that is important to them. Even to my children who go to a Christian day school and go to a Christian high school, having that need in them to hear, they want their dad to share with them God's word uh, in the day because their morning just isn't right without it. Just like not having coffee in the morning, not having our family devotion. Um, and so oftentimes as fathers, sometimes we, we lose that. Sometimes as, as parents, uh, we get distracted and think that, I'll, I'll get back to it, and, and I'll get back to it later. It's a reminder to us how important God's Word is to share with our families and with each other. Well, you know, and I'm gonna, I'm just gonna throw my two cents in there, and one of them is gonna be a story if, if we have time for for a story, and I think we have a little bit. You're but the, you're it, the gatekeeper of the time. So well, we can... it, it, it convicts me because I've had some false starts with my own family. You know, typically we would gather around and have our devotion time in the evening, but with meetings in the evenings, I'm not there all the time for dinner. And, and, um, so we, it's had its false starts and, and it, this convicts me again over and over that I, I need to not use those as an example for not doing it. I need to find a time and, and get this done, even in the hectic nature of my life, um, in my children's life. One of the things, though, that I just wanted to share, and 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 I think it it, it fits in here very very well. Um, I'm on the fourth commandment with the kids, um, in in um, confirmation class, and as I was preparing the slides for the lesson, I came across a, a video that I I found on YouTube, which is just just a powerful video for me, and it, it's it, the the video is called Legacy, and and what it was is um, it showed. A young child, um, and it shows this little kid, and he's opening up this treasure box, and he's going through this treasure box, and another, and the adult is they're just moving, and they're moving around the whole entire house, but then it flips back to to this other kid who's got glasses, and and his dad is sitting in his bed, um, getting them ready for bed, and they're sitting there, and he's reading parts of the scriptures, um, reading about. Daniel in the lion's den. <clears throat> and then you see from the, the, the concept of the child, he looks at his dad and he's glowing. The dad is glowing as he's reading the words. The, the child is looking at the dad and you can see Christ shining through the dad. And, and then you see the imagination of the child where he's wrestling with the lion, right? Um, and, and he's, you know, like Samson was wrestling with the lion. And then you, you see all these things. And, and then it pans out and the dad was dressed as the lion and they were wrestling on the floor. And then the child gets a little bit older and the dad has a bunch of work. And, and his, his time to go through the scriptures was lacking. And um, one day at night, the Bible sitting on the nightstand of the child and the child is, is waiting for his dad to come and dad peeks into the room and he just says, Hey, good night, buddy. And the glow, you get it from the child's perspective, the glow disappears and all his, all who's standing there is just his dad. 
And he says, good night, dad. And then all of a sudden it pans to, to the child standing in front of Goliath and Goliath is coming and he's raising his sword and, um, he doesn't know what to do and he's in the place of David. And all of a sudden, as the sword comes down and he cringes back, his dad appears in front of him with his hand raised and he's glowing again as Christ is seen through him, as as his dad is again sharing the scriptures with him, realizing that he had failed in his passing on of that legacy. And the last scene shows that child grown up and the one who had been going through the treasure box was his son. And he brings out the Bible and he says, I want to share with you with what my dad shared with me. And he's reading through the scriptures. And I have that as part of that video for the fourth commandment. As, as you know, when we're talking about one of, the, one of the greatest things that God has given to a parent is not only the raising of good citizens in the society, but also to pass on the legacy of faith. Whereas the church deals with the soul and the government deals with the body, parents deal with both. And they pass on this legacy to their children. And they see Christ in that. And, and just a wonderful reminder of, of what Paul is talking about here. Um, this is from infancy. This is the gift, right? I, that's a very touching story. Um, and so today as we looked at uh, Second Timothy chapter 3, and what is the world coming to, we ask? Do we become grumpy old men? No, we turn to the Word of God because the Word of God is ready and willing to handle whatever the world has to throw at it because the Word of God tells us about Jesus and what he has done for us and, and gives us the power to live in this life until Jesus comes again.